Well, thank God for music. Amen. Gets our heart pumping, our souls soaring, and our eyes fixed when they need to be. And uh, I love this time of year. I know you do too. It's a kind of a time of new beginning, the springtime. Look out there and see new life and we think about uh, what this season means to us as Christians, but also the whole world stops and pays attention to this, what it means to us in the essence of new life in our lives because of Jesus Christ. I mentioned this fellow last week, and I kept thinking about this this week and what I'm preaching on today, and I want to share another little story with you about Gene Brooks, and a fellow that was a member of our church for years and lived most of his life not being saved and got saved one Friday night. His life was changed radically. And uh, we were still at the school uh, when he got saved. In 2003, we moved into this new building. And he came to our Tuesday morning Bible study. And one of those Tuesdays I mentioned, you know, it would be great to have a big cross for our church. And I didn't think uh, whether we'd put it in the baptistry or put it on the sides here, but um, I thought that would be really neat to do that. And uh, I said that one Tuesday morning, and about two weeks later, I got a call from Gene Brooks. He says, Pastor, can you come over? I said, yeah. Can you come over right now? I said, absolutely. I'm coming. I'm in my car already, heading that way. And uh, there was a sense of urgency. He wanted me to come. And I uh, got over there, and he was standing outside of his house, outside of his garage there when I pulled in, and he was so excited um, and I was trying to figure out why is he so excited? What's happened here? And you know, he, I knew his life experience. But then he raises the garage door, look inside that garage, and here is a huge cedar cross that he had made on two saw horses. And he was so excited about that cross. He was so excited to show me the cross that he had made. It's made out of cedar. I don't know if you've gotten close to it. Some of you guys know it's made out of cedar because you've had to move it. The thing is very heavy. But it was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. It hadn't been stained yet, but uh, just the natural wood there, I'm looking at it. But, you know, one of the things I thought about that day, and one of the things I thought about this week, too, is I was asking God to give me the things to say this morning about the cross. That cross that he made in that garage over those couple weeks meant something different to him than it had meant the whole rest of his life. He came to know Jesus Christ at a Promise Keepers convention, as I shared last week. He came because he realized what Jesus Christ had done upon that cross. The cross no longer meant the same thing to Gene Brooks after he met his Lord and Savior personally. You know, we see jewelry all the time, and isn't it amazing how some of the most beautiful jewelry out there today is a beautiful cross that at one time was the most brutal symbol in the Roman Empire. There was no more brutal way to die than die upon that cross. And if you mention somebody being crucified, they realize that is a cursed person. The Bible says that. And that's why the Apostle Paul and some of the other Pharisees had a hard time believing that Jesus Christ was the Messiah after he died upon that cross. How could that be? There's a lot of people that see the cross, know the cross, but they don't really fully understand the power of the cross. We're going to talk about that today. Another little story for you. Supposedly a true story. It's not mine, but 
sold as a true story. A little fellow living in a Midwest town got lost one day, just a very young fellow, and couldn't find his way home. He lived in that town his whole life, but he'd gotten downtown and could not find his way home. And so he's sitting on the corner there, and a policeman came along and was curious about, what are you doing sitting here by yourself, son? And I uh, said, well, I'm lost. I don't know how to find my way home. So the police officer said, well, can you tell me anything about maybe something that's close by your home that I might be able to recognize and get you close to your home here and we figure out where your home's at? <coughs> Excuse me. And he thought for a few minutes and then he said, you know, there's a real tall building on the same block as my house that has a cross on top of it. And so the policeman immediately knew the church that this young man was talking about. So they walked across town and got to that church and he says, that's the church. And he said, in fact, my house is right down there. The cross led that young boy home. The cross leads you and I home as well. It means something very, very precious to us when we take time to contemplate what the cross is really all about. The fact that God would come out of heaven, make himself a man, leave the riches of heaven, become poor, that through his poverty you and I might become rich. But it's so much more than that. I want to share a scripture this morning. I know it's Palm Sunday, and so do you. And I know you've heard that Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry story over and over in the Bible. I want to back it up a few pages there and look at some scripture that falls in Matthew right before the story of the triumphant entry. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 20, beginning with the 17th verse. What we're talking about this morning is the road that Jesus Christ was on heading for the cross. Jesus Christ, and don't miss this thought, Jesus Christ was born into this world to die upon that cross. He knew from the very beginning that he had a destiny. He knew from the very beginning that he came to this earth for a very specific purpose. And that purpose was to die upon that cross for you and I. To pray that supreme sacrifice for our life. If you found your way to Matthew 20... Verse 17, stand with me this morning. As you're standing with me this morning, I want you to think about this, that we're going to follow Jesus Christ here up to the cross. And I'm praying this morning as we hear God's word, as we reflect on some of these things we're reading here this morning, that we'll join him on that journey. We'll realize that we have this incredible journey in life because Jesus Christ bore that price upon that cross. Verse 17, chapter 20. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand, and the other on your left hand in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink, to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Then he said to them, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and to sit on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom is prepared by my Father. Then the ten heard that, these are the other disciples. 
They were greatly displeased with the two brothers, but Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it, is still, it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom to many. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed them. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? Then they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, as we stand in awe of what we celebrate this week and this next Sunday, Father, the fact that you sent your son into this world to die upon that cross, Father. But the cross was not the end, Father. The grave could not hold the king, Father. They crucified him, but three days later, Father, he rose victorious over the grave, over sin, and over death. Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we have received Jesus Christ in our heart, our heart Father, we still have and we do have that victory that Jesus Christ gave us upon that cross. Father, as we understand the cross, Father, and look at the cross in a greater way today, Father, help each one of us, Father, to realize, Lord, that we need to walk towards that cross as well in our life, Father. Jesus Christ commanded it. Father, I thank you right now for this precious time. Father, I pray that every one of us, beginning with the pastor here, Father, would hear these words, Father, and walk in them in a greater way as we leave this place changed yet again for you. Father, I also pray right now that the, Lord, the light that you've placed upon us, Father, the light of Jesus Christ, Father, would shine in this community and in this world this week, Father, like never before. Father, that we'd realize, Lord, that we have something that nobody else, nothing else in this world could ever give us, Father, and that's life because of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you now for this most precious time in your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to speak the obvious, but the greatest event in all the history of the world was when Jesus Christ was crucified and he rose from the grave. He was hung on that old, rugged cross. This changed the world. It changed everything. There's not a single thing in this world today that was not affected or not changed because Jesus Christ came, died, and rose from the grave. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was ministering and writing to the church at Corinth, he said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. You know, what else is there in this world besides the fact that we have a living Savior in heaven that gives us life? You know, there, there's no real knowledge apart from the cross. On that cross, we confront human sin and God's love all at the same time. The fact that how could God love us so very much that he sent his only son to die upon that cross that our sins might be forgiven and paid for. I love the old songwriter that says it was at the cross where I first saw the light. I don't know if you can remember back the day that you came face to face with Jesus Christ and you received him into your life and you realized, man, there's a new life out there. I've seen it over and over in my life and I know you have too. Where people come to know Jesus Christ and say, there's something different about me today. There is. It's because of the price that Jesus Christ paid upon that cross. 
The cross is where light meets darkness. It's also where we see man at his worst, but also God as his best. A.W. Tozer, a great theologian from the last century, says this. He says, the most important thing about you and me is what comes to our mind when we think about God. Ponder that thought for a second. The most important thing about you and I is what we think about God and what comes to our mind when we do that. What you and I think about the cross is going to flavor and color every part of our life. The scripture we read today, as I mentioned a moment ago, was before the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It's just a few days before. Jesus was on his road to Jerusalem. He was traveling to his death, though. Ponder this thought for a second. If you were told you had a few weeks to live, your focus would be a little bit more focused, wouldn't it? Your priorities would probably be pretty well in order taking care of the most important things in your life. The trivial really doesn't have any time in your life right now because I have a limited amount of time. You know, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's worthy of pondering today. You know, how many of us know that we don't have two weeks to live? Why wouldn't we live every day like it could be our last? Live with no regrets. Living, making sure that people understand that how much I love them, how much I care about them, how much I want to have this relationship with them that's growing for them to realize that they are important in my life. Not miss a single beat. Not live this, lead this world, whatever it is, with regrets. That I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done that. Jesus Christ had basically one week left to live. A little bit more than one week. What did he have to say to you and I? As we follow Jesus Christ to the cross this morning, I'm praying that we would make his journey our journey. That we'd see things this morning maybe out of God's Word that we've never seen before, never pondered before. I know for certain your, your pastor here has never read that Scripture as much as I read the Scripture that follows in chapter 21, the first 11 verses there talk about the triumphant entry. We've heard that over and over through the years. We teach it in Sunday school. We share it in worship service when we think about Palm Sunday. But the things that happened before that week were also important. But Jesus Christ had been moving towards the cross for quite a while. He came into this world to die upon that cross. I love the fact that uh, when Charles Spurgeon was teaching a seminary that he had there and two centuries ago, he had one student stand one day, you know, Pastor Spurgeon, how do you pick out what to preach? Where do you preach from the Bible? Charles Spurgeon's answer was this. He says, you pick out any scripture in the Bible and you preach it. And as you're preaching, you connect the line to the cross. Whatever scripture you preach in the Bible... Just draw that line from that scripture to the cross. There's four things I believe that we can pick out of these things this morning. There's many more things, but there's four things that I want to kind of focus in on as we look at Jesus Christ's journey to the cross. Look at verse 17 we just read for a second. It says, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Jesus Christ was going to Jerusalem. First thing I want to look at this morning for just a minute is purpose. What is my purpose? That's important. The other part of the purpose question, though, and the purpose thought is, am I heading in the direction of my purpose? Jesus Christ was going to Jerusalem. There's no doubt in his mind what he's going to have to do in Jerusalem. But he was going in the right direction. He knew where he was supposed to go, and he went there. Jesus knew his purpose, and he stayed on course. 
You back up just a few weeks before this, Jesus Christ took his apostles out of Galilee and took them about 17 miles north from Galilee into a place called Caesarea Philippi, named after Caesar. Arguably at that time and day, there was no more wicked or evil city in all of Judea. And it was a wicked city. You say, why did Jesus Christ take his apostles up there before he gets crucified? Well, he sat them all down when he got up there, and his apostles are looking at this uh, worldly, worldly, worldly city. Jesus Christ had two missions right there. He wanted them to understand for sure who he was, but he also wanted them to understand what he was about to do. He began focusing here on his apostles in a very deliberate way because from Caesarea Philippi, he immediately turns south and begins his journey towards Jerusalem. If you watch his ministry there, Caesarea Philippi is also the furthest north city in Judea that he ever went to. It's far north there. But he went there for a very specific purpose because he wanted them to see what the world looks like, but he also wanted them to know, this is why I came. And so that's where Jesus Christ, as you remember, he sat his apostles down and he said, hey, who do people say that I am? And they all answered, well, one of them said John the Baptist, and one of them said Elijah, and one of them said Jeremiah. Another one said, well, one of the prophets... Jesus paused for a second, then he looked up and he says, but who do you say that I am? Remember what Peter said? You are Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter got it right. Peter talked a lot, didn't always get it right, but he got it right that day. Jesus Christ said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Some people have misinterpreted that scripture and think it's upon the rock of the church. That that's going to be about. No, it's on the, upon the rock or it's upon Peter they're going to build it. No, it's going to build it on the fact that Jesus Christ is the King and the Son of the living God. He's the Messiah. But he also wanted them, and he shared with them a little bit what he was about to do. The time we just read about in the Scripture just a moment ago was the third time that Jesus Christ said very specifically that he's going to have to die. But Jesus Christ shared with his apostles here in Caesarea Philippi, I want to make sure that you know who I am. And I also want you to understand that, that I'm going to lay my life down, but it's almost going to raise it back up. That it's not them coming against me that I can't control it. He says, I'm doing this willingly for you. He wants you and I to know that he did this so we might have life. The question for you and I today, in the essence of what Jesus Christ was wanting to make sure his apostles knew, who am I? Have you ever wondered that question? Who am I really? Who am I really? You know, a lot of people, when you ask that question, they kind of state their occupation. You know, I'm a banker, I'm a fisherman, I'm whatever it might be. No, that's what you do. Who are you really? And here might be even a little harder question. What is my purpose? What is my real purpose in life? I've been confused over the years sometimes and lost that business years ago and kind of wondering, oh, what do I do now? What's my purpose? Well, I lost sight for a few years of what my purpose was. It was to serve God. It was to follow Jesus Christ to the cross. That's what my purpose is. That's what your purpose is. No matter what your occupation you may have the greatest job in the world or you may have a job you don't really care for. Do you know what your purpose is? To follow Jesus Christ to the cross every day you go to that job. Let people see that there's something about me that's different because I have a living Savior. God has a plan for every one of us. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for your future and plans for your hope. How about 1 Corinthians 2, 9? God tells us uh, our eyes haven't seen, our ears haven't heard, nor our mind conceived the plans that God has for us. How about Romans 8.28? All things work together for those that love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. 
God takes our whole life and works it together. Why? Because He's got a great plan for our life. We fall into trials and tribulations sometimes. You know what He's doing? He's building us back up. God has a plan. God's whole plan revolves around us understanding our purpose and doing it better. God wants us to have a testimony that brings glory to Him. God wants you to come out of any trial and tribulation we're going through, first of all, having joy, but also realizing, hey, i got a God in heaven who loves me. Let me tell you about Him. Man, how can you tell me that when you're going through this hard time? Because God's getting me through it. God's never going to leave me alone. God's walking all the way with me. God has it under control. You know, the Apostle Paul talked several times about running the race. And he used a lot of illustrations dealing with the Olympics because he'd seen them and dealing with soldiers and things. But he talks about running the race. He says, uh, run the race because not everyone will win, but run it to win. You know, we understand that sometimes. But you know, unfortunately, sometimes we're running the race, but we're in the wrong lane. Maybe we're running the wrong direction on the race course. You ever seen some of those bloopers on football where the guy catches the ball, he's kind of confused, turned around, and he runs to the wrong end zone? Unfortunately, sometimes in the Christian life, we can get confused a little bit too because we live in a busy world. So how do I keep that focus? My friend's mother-in-law one time was driving home late at night in Nevada, and she got caught up in a massive, massive rainstorm. And she could barely see. She was going very slow, but she come upon a car, and the car was going kind of slow. And so she said, I'm just going to follow those taillights. This guy obviously kind of can maybe see better than I can, so I'm going to keep my distance, but keep the, eye, keep the taillights in sight and get where I need to go. And so all of a sudden, you know, make some turns, and all of a sudden the car in front of her stops. And so she's trying to figure out what exactly is going on. I wonder if they hit something or if they ran into something or why did they stop so fast. So she stops, and so she's sitting there and kind of wondering what's going on. Then all of a sudden the person turns their lights off. And she's wondering, why would they turn their lights off in the middle of a highway on a rainy day like this? So all of a sudden, she's sitting there and watching this, and the next thing she knows, she didn't see it, but next thing she knows, a little knock on her window. The man standing there that had been driving that car. And she rolls down the window just a little bit to talk. She says, what are you doing? He said, I, I was coming back here to ask you the same thing. Why would you follow me into my driveway? <laughs> Don't miss this thought this morning. We live in a very, very confusing world. We got people lying to us, listen very carefully, on every single front. You know, we got lies being taught in schools, colleges and elementary schools and grade schools, everywhere. We hear lies being said all the time. You know what they say about lies? If you hear a lie long enough, what does it become? Truth. It becomes something that we begin believing. Well, they said it here, they said it here. That person, I respect them, they said it. The only truth we'll ever have is right here. The only purpose that ever counts for anything is the purpose that God gives us. Why do you think that is? Why is God's purpose so important? Because His purpose is the only one that has eternal consequences, okay? When we're working in God's purpose, we're working with eternal consequences, eternal, eternal ends and means here. Do you know your purpose? Are you on the right road? Are you running in the right direction, in the right lane? The next thing that we see with Jesus is obedience. Look at verses 18 and 19. I mentioned this a moment ago. But it says, Behold, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he will rise up again. Wow. Jesus Christ is telling them specifically what's going to happen. They're confused. How could this be? 
You know, as we flip over to, you know, you turn there, but chapter 21, that's the triumphal entry. Here comes Jesus, and apostles are following, got him a donkey, just like he told them to go get him a donkey. They're all cheering him. How could this be that he's going to die? They had no idea. It was planned. Jesus Christ understood the essence of Friday that week, that he was going to be crucified. God has called you and I to obedience. Jesus Christ was obedient even unto the cross, it says. He's called you and I to obedience. He didn't call you and I to partial obedience. Think about this. Jesus Christ was going to Jerusalem. He could have stopped his journey there. No, wasn't that where he's going? He's going through Jerusalem to where? To the cross, to Calvary. He was obedient completely to get there. Jesus Christ has called you and I out to pick up our cross. It says this in Matthew 16, verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus Christ is telling us, if you want to follow me, this is what you need to do. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus Christ over and over is inviting, what a privilege for you and I to follow him. We talked about last week, following him is discipleship. It's simply put, follow me. What does that mean? I'm going to follow him and I'm do what he does, say what he says. Understand the things he understands. Grow with him because I'm following closely. Jesus Christ told you and I to deny ourselves, pick up that cross, and follow him. I want to share a scripture with you this morning. Maybe you haven't paid as much attention to. This is how serious Jesus Christ takes us. Jesus Christ told us to do that. Now Jesus Christ is telling us this. He says, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. That's Jesus Christ talking. That's pretty strict. That's pretty straightforward. Jesus Christ is serious about you and I walking in obedience. But unfortunately, many times you and I kind of feel like, well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm following pretty good. At least partially I'm following him. Jesus Christ didn't just go to Jerusalem. He went all the way to the cross. We have an example there. What does God want us to do? Follow him with everything we have, even if it costs us our life. God willing, it doesn't. And I'd venture to say most of us will never have to do that. Follow him so closely that it ultimately costs our life. There's people all over the world right now that are willing to do that, though. Why? Because they realize it's worth it. Where is the disconnect in our life in the obedience realm? One of the biggest problems we have as Christians, your pastor deals with it too, is walking in obedience. How can I walk in obedience better, in a greater way, closer? You know, one of the biggest misconceptions in the church, this is huge, one of the biggest misconceptions of the church is the fact that God's going to fill in the gaps for my misguided priorities. Really? Really? That God's going to fill in all, fill in all the gaps for my misguided priorities. I got these priorities to do this and this, but not, don't really want to do this over here. We kind of pick and choose. God's not going to fill in the gaps. What's going to happen is you're going to miss out on blessings. You're going to miss out on the opportunity to grow that he has for you. You're going to miss out on being fulfilled and being filled up with Jesus Christ. You're going to miss out on the things that God has for you in your heart. Am I following my priorities or God's priorities? I have kind of a challenging question for you this morning. Are people outside the church more important or are people inside the church more important? Are people outside the church more important or people inside the church? Good answer. Give that man an A. I've been married 30 years now. 
And Amy and I can both tell you this morning that for 30 years we've had the opportunity to eat out. Sometimes more than we probably need to, but we like eating out and it's fun. Enjoy it. And in 30 years of marriage, never had the first server come up to us and say, Hey, do you guys go to church? Can I tell you about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? We brought up the conversation and then they'll engage and talk about it, but I've never had anybody approach me as a server. My brother was in town for a couple of days this week. He's passing through, so I'm talking to him. First time he'd been to this house, lives in Tennessee. He said, you probably don't get too many visitors out here, do you? Or too many people knocking on your door trying to sell something, do you? I said, nope. I said, we've had two people come to our door here that I remember. And uh, both of them Jehovah's Witnesses. So I give them kind of high marks for being bold to go out and knock on doors. And I've always told them, I said, this, I, I respect you for doing this. Then usually get into theological discussion with them to no avail. But you know, I've never had a neighbor come over either my whole life and knock on my door and say, hey, I'm, I'm Mr. and Mrs. Smith here. We go to church around here. Would you guys like to come with us? Or do you guys uh, mind if we would like to invite you over to our house for coffee or cake and invite us over there and talk about Jesus Christ? And all the years, even before the ministry, restaurant business and the Marines and everything else I had the opportunity to do, never had anybody come up to me and say, can I tell you about Jesus Christ? You know, think about it, how sad. But then, you know, I don't, I don't want to kind of point the finger at them wondering, you know, how many opportunities have I missed to talk about Jesus Christ? How many times have I talked to a server about Jesus Christ or a neighbor about Jesus Christ or a co-worker about Jesus Christ? God's very specific that we're to follow Him, to deny ourselves and do the things we need to do. Every believer is a witness. You're a witness if you believe in Jesus Christ. The next thing we see here is true greatness. You know, Jesus was on the way to the cross and James's, John's mother comes up and says, hey, well, I want to talk to you about my brothers having a position in the new kingdom. I find the contrast there stark. I find that contrast there a little troublesome. Jesus Christ has just prayed with all these folks there or just talked to all these folks there about going to the cross. He's focused on going to the cross and telling them I'm going to die and be buried and rise from the dead. And so in the midst of hearing that all, what does the mother come to do? She comes and wants to talk about Corporate structure of the table organization for your kingdom here, Jesus. I want to make sure my boys get a big, great job here in your new kingdom. You know, I've I got to give her credit this much for that thought. She believed the kingdom was coming, and she wanted her boys to be a part of it. You know, what a blessing for you and I to have our children and want them to have a part of the kingdom one day. That's huge. But she missed the boat. She didn't understand leadership here. She didn't understand leadership Jesus' way. Jesus tells them very specifically, his, his ways for leadership here are total in stark contrast to the world's ways. He says, you're, you're going to lead if you serve. He said, if you want to be first, you need to be last. Put other people first. I read this the other day, and I thought it was very profound, and I'm going to explain it to you. I had to sit there and think about it for a while and try to figure this out. Listen to this for a minute. We lead by serving, and we serve by leading. Okay. We lead by serving, and we serve by leading. This is what I came up with trying to understand it in my little brain here. Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I think that's leading by serving. Let your light shine. I want to lead people. We serve by leading. Think about this thought for a second. Serve by leading. Ponder that. What does that mean to serve by leading? One of the definitions of leadership that I like, leadership is rallying people 
to a better future. Rallying people to a better future. I think that's what it means to lead by serving. I want to lead people to a better future. How do I do that? By serving them. How do I do that? By helping them. How do I do that? By loving them. Like Jesus did. Jesus wanted to rally us to a better future. So he served us by giving himself upon that cross. You know, there's all kinds of things here, and I don't have time this morning to go into them, but if you want to look at verses 23 there and 24, Jesus Christ answers the mother. And actually, I'm back to, back to 24, 22 there. Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you ask. When the mother was asking for their boys, part of his you have no idea what you're asking here. And you know what James and John, they gave their life for Jesus Christ. James was sawn in half, and John was exiled to Patmos and boiled in hot boiling water. He was talking about being baptized into the immersion of suffering. He was talking about drinking the cup. Remember what Jesus said upon that uh, Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus, if it's possible, or God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He's talking now about the wrath that's going to come his way upon that cross. God's wrath because he was paying a price for the sinners. These guys are going to pay a price. Very simply, what is greatness? True greatness comes from God. Greatness is not dominion over other people. It's not. Greatness is serving other people. It's very simply put. The final thing we see here this morning is the power. As Jesus Christ was leaving Jericho, there's two blind beggars. If you look at Mark and Luke, you see the same story, but they mention his name as Bartimaeus and another person. Two beggars heard that Jesus Christ was there, and they realized that he's going through Jericho. He might not come back again. I have one opportunity here to reach out to Jesus Christ that I might see. So they began screaming and crying, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, son of David. They realized the lineage here. And they kept crying, and people around them some of the things, said, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. I love what it says here in verse 32. They were crying and yelling and screaming and wanting to have mercy on them. People were saying to be quiet. But Jesus heard them, and it says at the beginning of verse 32, so Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus stood still. You remember... Daniel, when they threw Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and he said, Hey, I see four men loose standing in the fire. And they're not hurt. And form, the form of the fourth was like the Son of God. How about when Stephen was being stoned and he said this and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Revelation 3.20 says this, Jesus Christ speaking, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You know what it means to me that Jesus Christ stood in these positions and stands there? It's Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me and I'll answer you and show you great mighty things. God is waiting for you and I to get serious about him. God is waiting for you and I to call out to him. God is waiting for us to be desperate for him. And when that happens, you know what happens? God's there. He never leaves us. But we get his attention when we call out to him. Jesus Christ healed those two blind men. I love what it says here in verse 34. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight. And this is huge. And they followed him. When Jesus Christ touched 
those two beggars, those two blind men, they were healed, just like you and I. When Jesus Christ healed us, we might not have been visually blind, but we were spiritually blind. Might not have been lame, but we weren't walking the way we needed to be walking. Jesus Christ touched you and I. When he touched you and I, did we say, I want to follow him now? I believe most of us did. God desires for you and I to be intimate with him. When we ponder the cross, when we follow Jesus to the cross, does that desire in us burn with greater fire and wanting to walk closer with him? Jesus Christ is waiting. I'm going to share this one last story as conclusion today. You ever heard of a lady by the name of Frances Crosby? Frances Crosby. Not a real familiar name. She was born in 1820. At six weeks old, she became blind. She came down with a virus and there was an infection. There was a man in town that was posing as a doctor and he, he, he prescribed something that was wrong, ended up blinding her because the man didn't know what he was doing. So she's blind basically for life after six weeks old. Her father died when she was six months old. She was raised by her mother and her grandmother. But you know, it reminds me a little bit about Timothy and his mother and grandmother. Francis began zealously memorizing Scripture. I want you to hear about this. She was memorizing five chapters at least a week of Scripture. She could recite as a child the whole Pentateuch. I think most of you know what that is. It's the first five books of the Bible. She memorized all four Gospels. She memorized the whole book of Proverbs. She memorized the, the Song of Solomon. She memorized so many other verses. She loved God's Word, and they'd read it to her, and she'd memorize it. And she could quote these whole books of the Bible. She began writing at the age of eight, and she wrote this first poem. Listen to part of this. She says, Oh, what a happy soul I am. This is Francis, the blind lady. Oh, what happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, contented, I will be. Her first poem. Let me tell you a little bit about Francis Crosby. She wrote more than 9,000 hymns. You don't recognize her name because the people that were publishing the songs and said, we can't keep publishing with your name on it, so come up with some fake names. So there's books, there's, there's hymns in the old hymnals that have pe other people's names on it that aren't hers. But we know she wrote them because she kept a list of all the ones she wrote. Francis Crosby. Blessed Assurance. Jesus is tenderly calling. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. To God be the glory. Praise Him, praise Him. Over and over and over as I read this list, I recognized these hymns, many of them. And I didn't recognize her name when I first heard about it. A nobody to the world, but a somebody to God. Think about that. Most of us, as we kind of look in the mirror and realize, I'm not really anybody in this world. I am to my family, hopefully. I am to God. I'm trying to be. What struck me most about Francis Crosby, though, is this statement I read, and that's why I kind of looked her up. One day, she was in church, and the pastor asked her after the service. She was like 94 years old, 74 years old when this question was asked to her. She lived to be 95. The pastor came up to her, and he said he knew who she was. Um, he says, I think it's a great pity that you have all this talent, and yet you were blind. Francis replied right away, 
Scripture says, Do you know that if I was born again, had the opportunity to ask God for one petition, I'd ask to be born blind. And she says this, Because when I get to heaven, the first thing I want to see with my new eyes is Jesus Christ. Oh, that you and I would be drawn to the cross like that. I don't want any of us to ever think that our life doesn't matter. It would have been very easy for Francis to quit. I'm blind. How can I write hymns? She not only wrote hymns, she played like five or six different instruments too. Phenomenally accomplished. She did not let the frailty of her human body or her human spirit slow her down for the glory of God. You know what God did? He blessed her and all that. Gave her insight into the scripture like very few people have ever had probably. He did a marvelous work in Francis Crosby's life. He desires to do a marvelous work in yours and my life as well.